Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Justice Department has asked a judge to lock Steve Bannon up for defying a subpoena. How much time and how Bannon responded. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been a highly rated politician among Americans. Where does he stand now after a recent controversy? The Chinese Communist Party's leader, Xi Jinping, lays out the regime's next five-year agenda. And what a former U.S. diplomat says about how to stop a potential invasion of Taiwan. President Biden touts his student loan relief plan, which is now starting to take applications. But a new poll finds Republicans have gained an edge as voters worry about the economy. Rapper Kanye West agrees to buy social media platform Parler after he was kicked off two other platforms. The Justice Department is asking a federal judge to sentence former President Trump's advisor, Steve Bannon, to six months in jail. They said Bannon pursued, quite, quote, a bad faith strategy of defiance and contempt. Bannon was convicted in July on two counts of contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the January 6th committee. Each count is punishable by 30 days to one year in prison and a fine up to $100,000. The DOJ is seeking the maximum, a $200,000 fine. Prosecutors told the court that Bannon, quote, flouted the committee's authority and ignored the subpoena's demands and that his refusal to produce any documents led them to recommend the prison sentence. Bannon's lawyers asked the judge to impose a sentence of probation instead of jail time and to put the sentencing on hold pending an appeal. Bannon is scheduled to be sentenced in court on Friday. And the House Oversight Committee released a report today on the room rates that Secret Service agents were charged while staying at former President Trump's hotels. From January 2017 through September 2021, the Secret Service stayed at Trump properties to protect the former president, both during and after his presidency. The report alleges that at least 11 times, Trump's hotels charged room rates of more than $800 per night. At other times, charges were more than $1,100. For example, the committee published a ledger showing Trump's Washington, D.C. hotel charged $1,160 for agents protecting Eric Trump. The government rate for D.C. on that night was $242. However, the agency received at least 40 waivers to permit the higher costs. The Trump Organization denied the allegations and said it provided rooms to agents at cost, at substantial discounts, or for free. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is often under scrutiny, but a mainstream poll shows he's still a favored politician in America. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Last month, when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis paid to fly 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, critics accused him of lying to the incomers and treating them badly. So when Biden is flying these people all over the fruited plain in the middle of the night, I didn't hear a peep out of those people, okay? But a poll released by Statista Research Department a few weeks ago showed that DeSantis had a high net approval rating among Americans. And a new mainstream poll shows he's still a well-liked politician. 
The poll conducted by Harvard, Capps, and Harris on October 12 and 13 asked online respondents in the U.S. to rate top political figures. The poll showed DeSantis had the highest net approval rating among major American politicians. The net approval is calculated by subtracting the unfavorable views from the favorable views. 39% of the poll respondents favored DeSantis, while 33% didn't. This resulted in a plus-6 approval rating. Former Vice President Mike Pence came in second with a plus-4 rating. Top political rivals have praised DeSantis for his recent handling of Hurricane Ian, including President Biden. What the governor's done is pretty remarkable. Other notable results from the poll include GOP approval has risen four points in the last four months, now at 49 percent. Democratic Party approval has plateaued after rising, now at 46 percent. And inflation, the economy, and immigration dominate as top issues facing the country. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And turning to China, the Communist Party's leader, Xi Jinping, gave a speech yesterday announcing the regime's agenda for the next five years. Earlier today, I spoke with retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy, Grant Newsham, for his perspective on the speech. Grant Newsham, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Well, glad to be here. Thank you. Xi's speech seemed to reinforce everything he's stood for so far. What's your take on his speech? Well, there were no surprises, I think, unless you had sort of made your career 20, 30 years ago saying that China was going to liberalize if we accommodated them. As I say, there was nothing surprising in this. Uh, it was menacing, uh, to my way of thinking. Uh, but also, you'll notice that he had no olive branches for anybody, not to the outside world, not to the Americans, uh, not to his regional neighbors, uh, not to uh, his domestic audience either. Uh, that was one of the things that really struck me. I say it wasn't a surprise, but it was a pretty clear-cut statement of what he intends to do. Uh, and he is not in a mood to compromise with anybody from what he wants to do. And so based on that, what can we expect from China going forward? Well, it's going to be an even rougher place. You know, I'll start domestically. And he said that, you know, this zero COVID approach that he's taking, where you're locking down 20, 30 million people in a city at a time, uh, all over the country, said that's not going to stop. Says it's the right thing to do and going to get more of it if necessary. Uh, he laid down the law that uh, religion in China is going to have Chinese characteristics, uh, which means there's no free religion. And it was all, he stated once again the supremacy of the party. The party is everything. Uh, and what it was is complete antithesis of what you would call consensual government, where the people have any say in things. But looking at it externally, uh, that I got the impression that he's a guy who is uh, setting his country up to go to war, getting them ready for it, uh, battening down the hatches. Uh, and I think that trouble is coming. And where do you think that trouble will be first detected or seen going forward? Well, he kind of told us in Taiwan uh, and he mentioned that prominently. And you'll notice he got a great big ovation when he did. Uh, he said you know, they'll try to get it peacefully, but if they don't, anything goes. And he's pretty much told us what he intends to do. My guess is they'll probably wait and see the, uh, the outcome of the Taiwan elect presidential election, see if they can get one of their own uh, sort of people elected. 
Uh, and if not, after that, I would stand by. Uh, that would be my uh, guess on it. You do notice that he also put a lot of uh, attention into the military, talking about the military, the need to de further develop uh, its capabilities. Uh, and there's so much reference to security. Uh, and particularly, you noted food security, energy security, uh, thought security even, with the sense that nobody challenges the party. And this is what you do when you're getting ready for a fight. Uh, and that's how it strikes me. I say there was nothing at all accommodating uh, towards the rest of the world about this. This was pretty much a broad, uh, brazen statement of uh, what China intends to do, the importance it places on power. Um, it's all about violence, the threat of violence, intimidation, making sure you have no rivals uh, to get what you want. The problem he may run into is that, well, when free people uh, elsewhere uh, on the planet decide they're uh, in danger, they have a tendency to respond in a way that dictators generally don't expect and generally don't like. Observers also agree that Xi's leadership has put China on a collision course with the West. So what do you think will happen going forward? Um, I would note that it hasn't been Xi's leadership. Uh, if he'd never come along, China would still be on that collision course. Uh, with the free world. Uh, it's not just the West, I would say it's the free nations. Uh, but he has probably moved things along quicker uh, than otherwise would have been the case. So there's going to be plenty of people calling for just understand what he wants, uh, calm his fears, and then we'll get peace in our time. Well, that's been tried. Uh, you know, we do have a fair amount of empirical evidence of how these things turn out. Uh, the one thing that could stop it uh, is if the the free nations, led by the United States, Japan uh, in particular, get their acts together uh, and make it very clear that they're not going to back down, then if necessary, they will fight. Uh, that has a, uh, that actually has a sort of a peacemaking effect if you actually study some history. Uh, but if they look, think they're going to, as I say, cut a deal, there is no deal uh, to be cut. Uh, the authority, the wisdom of the, the party has as Xi Jinping and the others see it, it's infallible. And their uh, eventual dominance, that too, it, it's inexorable, can't be stopped. Well, it's up to the free world to demonstrate once again to these kind of regimes uh, that it can be stopped. So we'll see how this plays out. Indeed. All right. Grant Newsham, retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Thank you for your time. I'm glad to be here. Thanks very much. Last week, Los Angeles International Airport and many other major airports within the United States were the targets of pro-Russian hackers who attacked their websites. NTD's Daniel Hall spoke with a privacy and data security consultant regarding the vulnerabilities in today's technology and how adversaries are targeting users for attacks such as this. Last Monday, cyber attacks hit multiple airports throughout the country, including Los Angeles International, Chicago O'Hare, and Hartsfield-Jackson International in Atlanta. In a statement to NPR, LAX officials said that their website, flylax.com, was partially disrupted last Monday morning. The attack on the airports was done by KillNet, which is a pro-Russian hacking group, which means this is tied to nation-state hacking, which is a subset of tech-based hybrid warfare being waged by China and Russia against the West. Rex Lee, a journalist and cybersecurity expert, told NTD about the vulnerabilities of today's operating systems and how easy it is for hackers to infiltrate businesses and corporations. 
These are uh, pro-military uh, groups are usually ex-military and they understand the vulnerabilities within today's technology and they exploit those. Lee says that these attacks usually come from vulnerable devices such as smartphones or computers that have usually been infiltrated along a company's supply chain. In a post on Telegram, the attackers urged other hackers to join in a distributed denial of service operation, or DDoS, aimed at airports nationwide. These devices often have part of their supply chain in China for a business or a government agency. And for businesses and government agencies, one of the things that they need to do is uh, implement a, a top-down enterprise security strategy that includes uh, IT, board members, C-suite, all the way to the frontline employee. Lee added that, according to IBM, 95% of all breaches came from human error or insider attacks that can be infiltrated through the supply chain. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. The taxpayer-funded student debt cancellation plan is now open for applications. NTD's Iris Tao has what Biden said about it today and what a new poll tells us about voters' top priorities. Today, I'm announcing how millions, millions of people working and middle class folks can apply for get this relief, and it's simple, and it's now. It's easy, it's fast. President Biden is touting his student loan cancellation program, which is now open for applications. More than 40 million Americans can now apply online to have up to $20,000 in debt wiped out by the federal government. This is a game changer for millions of Americans. We get moving. The application is short and simple, requiring little more than the applicant's contact info and social security number. And Biden says over 8 million people have already applied after the site opened up last Friday. It means more than 8 million Americans are starting this week on their way to receiving a life-changing relief that they're looking for. Republicans have criticized Biden's student loan relief plan as inflationary and unfair to those who worked hard to finish paying back their debt. All of this as Republican backlash is growing over Biden's remarks over the weekend when he said, uh, Our economy is strong as hell. The White House on Monday defended Biden. He has done the work, and he's done the work with congressional Democrats when you think about the Inflation Reduction Act. But it's another question if voters agree. A New York Times and Siena College poll released on Monday shows a majority of voters put the economy and inflation as their top concerns. And those most concerned with the economy, the poll says, favored Republicans overwhelmingly. Reporting Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Billionaire musician Kanye West is in the process of buying Parler, a conservative social media platform that advocates free speech. West's Instagram and Twitter accounts were recently locked. In a statement, the Stupastar rapper argued, quote, in a world where conservative opinions are considered to be controversial, we have to make sure we have the right to freely express ourselves. His deal with Parler is expected to close before the end of this year. The company hasn't disclosed how much West would pay. Vaccine injuries. The U.S. government has a compensation program, but many injured by COVID-19 vaccines haven't received a penny. NTD's Jason Perry takes a closer look at why. There's really no avenue for justice for COVID vaccine injuries. The Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, or VICP, is a government program that was established in 1986. 
Vaccine injury lawyer Robert Krakow explains. It was established to make sure people who are injured um, by vaccines had a vehicle for compensation, but also to provide, and this is the main purpose, to provide immunity to the vaccine manufacturers uh, for uh, injuries caused by vaccines. And he further explained that when people call him for help because they've been injured by the COVID vaccine, he tells them there's very little he can do, and he encourages them to file a claim with the VICP. Krakow then explained some of the loopholes in the government program. The Pfizer vaccine that was approved, which is called by a brand name Comirnaty, C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y, is different from the Pfizer emergency use vaccine. So if they're different, they're different vaccines. So one, if you were injured by a COVID-19 emergency use vaccine, you would have no ever have a recourse in the VICP because it's a different vaccine and it's never going to be covered. So there are all these um, just areas of total injustice that are being perpetrated on the population. Another government program called the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, or CICP. It's meant to cover injuries from vaccines under emergency use authorization. But this year, the CICP only had 20 employees and about $900,000 budgeted for compensation. That's according to Wayne Rohde, a top expert in the laws and politics of vaccine compensation. If you wanted to have a functional program, that was uh, offered an uh, uh, opportunity for compensation for those who are truly were injured, you would see staffing levels of probably, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 people because there's a lot of processing of papers, reviewing of medical records, and then compensation levels that are probably going to be needing in the $500 million to a $1 billion a year uh, for the number of injuries. The numbers just aren't there. They don't add up. And so it just tells me, one, either the federal government doesn't know what to do, or two, they know what to do and they're just turning their backs on the injured people. Rody says the best way to make change is for Americans to pressure their elected officials to make the compensation programs do more for the vaccine injured. You can watch the full interviews on The Nation Speaks with Cindy Drew Care on Epic TV or NTD.com. Jason Perry, NTD News. Up next, disastrous floods causing a rising death toll in Nigeria. The floods are displacing hundreds of thousands and spurring on armed conflict. And Brazil, one of the last conservative-led countries in South America, will soon determine its next president. Last night, the two candidates held their very first one-on-one -on -one debate this election cycle. That and more here on NTD News. More than 600 people have died in Nigeria due to floods this year. The water also keeps destroying farmland, causing more armed conflict. Nigerian officials yesterday said that the death toll from floods this year has increased to 603. In total, more than 1.3 million people have been displaced and lots of farmland has been submerged, which in turn causes more armed conflict in agricultural regions. It also affects the food supply for the entire country. Annual flooding is normal in Nigeria, but this year's floods are the worst in over a decade. Authorities blame the disaster on water flowing from a dam in neighboring Cameroon 
and on unusual rainfall levels. Brazil is getting ready for its presidential runoff election. Some consider this year's campaign to be the country's most combative since the end of military rule in the 80s. Yesterday, the two candidates held their first one-on-one -on -one televised debate. Brazil is heading for runoff elections after neither candidate got over 50 percent of the vote in the first round. Incumbent conservative president Jair Bolsonaro is up against left-leaning Lula da Silva, better known as Lula. On Sunday, the two faced off in their first one-on-one -on -one debate, often attacking each other for their alleged failures. What you deviated was money for corruption. Everything had corruption in your government. Everything. Bolsonaro pointed to Lula's corruption scandals. The candidate was president of Brazil in the early 2000s, but he was imprisoned after he was convicted on corruption charges in 2017. This disqualified him from running again in 2018. He criticized Bolsonaro for his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. You didn't take care of the people during the pandemic. You made fun and laughed. You said you wouldn't take the vaccine, that those who took the vaccine would become alligators or become homosexual, and that they shouldn't take the vaccine. Bolsonaro, meanwhile, blamed his opponent's party for implementing lockdowns during the pandemic. During the year 2020, when the people were forced to stay at home, not by my decision, but by many governors of your party, they were going to die of hunger. Bolsonaro came under fire this year for allegations his family bought over 50 real estate properties in cash, raising suspicions of corruption and money laundering. I'm going to come back to govern this country because the people need someone to take care of them. They don't want someone who buys 51 properties with cash. Brazilians will head to the polls at the end of this month to decide who their next president will be. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. A Russian fighter plane crashed into a residential building in a southern Russian city near Ukraine. Officials said four people were killed and six others were missing. Footage from the site showed large parts of the building on fire after the crash. Local authorities later said the blaze had been put out. A state-run media outlet said the crash took place during a training flight from a military airfield. It quoted the Russian Defense Ministry as saying that pilots reported an engine fire during takeoff and the plane's fuel then ignited when it struck the building. The agency also said that the pilots ejected before the crash. Russia's state investigative committee, which deals with serious crimes, says it has opened a criminal case. And more news on Russia. The military attacked Ukrainian cities with drones during rush hour this morning, killing at least four people. Iran denies supplying Russia with the deadly suicide drones. Waves of explosion-laden suicide drones struck Ukraine's capital as families were preparing to start their week early on Monday. The blasts echoing across Kiev, setting buildings ablaze and sending people scurrying to shelters. Kiev Mayor Vitaly Kuchko said a pregnant woman was among four people killed in the attack on a residential building. Black smoke poured out of the windows of the Kiev apartment building and emergency service workers toiled to douse flames. The strikes came exactly one week after Russia unleashed its heaviest aerial bombardment of Kiev and other Ukrainian cities since the start of the war, also during morning rush hour. Ukraine said the attack was carried out by kamikaze drones, or Iran-made suicide drones, which fly to their target and detonate. About 85% of them were destroyed by Ukrainian defense forces. 
Ukraine's foreign minister called on the European Union to sanction Iran for providing Russia with drones used in attacks. Russia denies targeting civilians in its special military operation in Ukraine, now in its eighth month. Iran repeated on Monday its denial that it is supplying the drones to Russia. And the White House today condemned the drone attacks and said the U.S. will hold Russia accountable for what it called war crimes. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The North Carolina Tar Heels, who finished runner-up to Kansas last season, are the top team in the AP's preseason poll, which was released today. Carolina garnered 47 of 62 first-place votes to easily outdistance second-ranked Gonzaga, which received 12 votes for number one and was a top preseason team each of the past two seasons. Houston and Kentucky were the only other squads to receive a first-place vote placing third and fourth respectively. Meanwhile, Kansas and Baylor, the past two national champions, were tied for fifth. For the Tar Heels, this is the 10th time they've been picked number one, breaking a tie with Duke for the most preseason first place rankings. But only one of the previous nine times did they end up winning it all back in 1982. Carolina returns four of its five starters from a team that got hot late last season and won 29 games, including a pair of wins against arch-rival Duke. They start their season on November 7th against UNC Wilmington. In NASCAR news, Bubba Wallace and reigning NASCAR champion Kyle Larson were involved in an altercation after a crash Sunday during the South Point 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The incident started when Larson's Chevrolet appeared to bump Wallace's Toyota into the wall off of turn four. Seconds later, Wallace crashed into Larson, sending him spinning into the path of Christopher Bell, ending the day for all three of them. Wallace immediately got out of his car and confronted Larson, shoving him several times before an official separated them. For his part, Wallace said he didn't intentionally wreck Larson. NASCAR says they'll review the incident. And tonight in baseball, the Yankees host the Guardians in Game 5 of the ALDS with the winner advancing to the ALCS to face Houston. And in the NFL, the Broncos are at the Chargers on Monday Night Football. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.